I just try to now trust that I've gotten through whatever situations I've been in um, and things are usually okay. As long as I don't make a big deal out of it, it's usually, it's usually not that bad. But I still definitely get caught in unknown situations and, and judging myself, coming down hard on myself, fearing, fearing things. Um, I think a little bit of, the, of this upcoming run with Candace, sure, there are some nerves, like 800 miles, two, two plus weeks is a long time to be out there. How, how am I going to respond? I'm not worried about her. Like I view her as this incredible driven athlete who puts in tons of miles and training. Like she's, she's phenomenal. I'm not worried about her, but what about me? Am I going to hold up am, a week in? Am I going to offer any value to, to the team? I, you know, I hope so. I hope I don't go down and I, and I hope I'm not dragging behind. I hope I'm still able to offer positive energy as well as physical ability out there. Hello, Yogi Triathlete community. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Jess, your host, and you know it. This is the place where we share stories of people looking, finding, and living their purpose. People who oftentimes have risen up from the ashes, or as we like to say, the ever-powerful sucks enough moment in order to turn new pages and write new stories that create momentum in the direction of the life they desire. We were all taught history, math, biology, and lots of other subjects that fed our intellects and perpetuated the programming that what we do, what we know, and what we acquire is who we are. This path is one that many are walking today and one that BJ and I grew up within and lived until we realized that for us, it wasn't a path to everlasting joy. What no one ever told us is that we're powerful creators who are creating in every moment. We can create from default or we can create consciously. We can create the life we dream of living. And I've seen this deliberate creation with all of the beautiful stories that we have shared on this podcast. This, of course, is not without challenge along the way. It requires us to challenge our stories about who we think we are. It requires us to look closely at our belief systems and dismiss the ones that are keeping us small and safe. It's curiosity that's the cornerstone of transformation, and in the 200 episodes of this podcast, I have never heard a guest say that they regretted taking risks to uncover the greatness that lives inside. Today, BJ and I are sharing the mic with Dave Wiskowski, professional photographer and plant-based ultra runner who experienced massive transformation in his life. Just a decade ago, Dave's life looked very different. It was heavy, literally. He was an overweight, depressed alcoholic just unhealthy and living a life that looked very much like just going through the motions. One night, he and his beautiful wife, Mercedes, popped in a movie and the seed for a new life was planted. Today, Dave is not only an experienced runner, but he is a coveted crew member and pacer in the trail running community. He has spent many, many, many hours and miles supporting those with bib numbers to navigate legit courses like Hard Rock 100, Western States 100, Uray 100, and other epic adventures like Katra Corbett's FKT on the 310-mile Muir Ramble Route, and his latest crew adventure with the epic Candace Burt. Dave, welcome to the show, my friend. Well, thanks so much for having me. That was awesome. You guys are great, by the way. I love, I love your energy. I love your vibe. I've been listening to you guys recently, and it's just it's awesome. So I'm very happy to be here. In Thank person. you. We're psyched to have you in the community, and. You know, three years ago was when I started trail running and, and I would get into groups, you know, like the trail crashers down here in San Diego and all these other groups and stuff. And as people would talk to me, they would say, do you know Dave Wiskowski? And I was like, no. And they were like, you guys need to know each other. So I started following you and I'm like, oh yeah, we need to get together and we need to have a chat. 
you speak our language and um and you bring more meaning to life whether whether you realize it or not through the words and through the words that you that you share well it's just it's a great way that we connect trail running and we connect with one another whether we have met or not we we can often feel like we know one another and then when we do connect we're like well i've i've known you for a few years and you know now we've connected in person but we're all friends out there just, you know, waiting to meet each other. So it's, I know. It's, it's such a great community. It's been such a valuable community for me. So I, yeah. I greatly appreciate it. And I appreciate that we now have it in person. I know. With you guys. So it's fantastic. Yeah. Thanks for coming down here on a Friday night. You got it. All right. So tell us about this crazy adventure that you're about to set off to support Candace Burt. Uh, so Candace Burt is going for an FKT, a fastest known time on the Arizona Trail. It is 800 miles maybe a few miles more. Um, she is going for, I think she's put it out there like 12 to 13 days, but possibly 14 to 17 days. So, I mean, there, there, there's a range that she's going for. The current FKT, it's a men's time, is I think 14 days and, I don't know, nine hours, 12 hours, something like that. Candace would like to go for an overall FKT, and, and she's very, very capable. Uh, she can definitely do that. Um, I think the women's FKT might be 17 days or so, uh, but no matter what, she's going to finish it. Uh, so she, she had this plan to do it last year. She, uh, is obviously a very committed and determined runner. Uh, she trained hard for it, but leading up to, uh, the actual run, she had a, an injury and it turned out to be a calf tear, I believe. So she postponed it a couple times and then wasn't able to do it. She has a very busy schedule with race directing as well. So she can't just up and go anytime so she has a limited window when she can do it there's a limited window with weather when when it's a good idea to do it so it was really just very recently that this came back on the table that i got uh, a text from my friend catra corbett uh, asking if i was available again and then uh like a few days later an email from candace saying all right well here here's the deal and we're going for it that's amazing and you guys i've done the math on this it's like a hundred k a day that's what she's aiming for. Yeah. So that's about, that's her goal. Yeah. Like 61 ish miles a day on average. There will probably be some days that there's more. There will be some days that are less. The terrain will vary a fair amount. I don't have a lot of firsthand knowledge of the Arizona trail, but you know, I don't think it matters too much. We'll take it as it comes. When, when you're in a mountainous section, you're slowing down, you know, when you're in a, a flatter section, she'll probably hammer and make up some extra miles. So so what's your what's your primary role with her? Is it pacing? Is it photography? Are you... So there's three of us crewing uh, from the start, and then we'll add a fourth person uh, into the second week. But we're all kind of doing everything, as far as I know. So um, Katra Corbett is good friends with Candace, and Katra is the crew chief. Uh, and then Candace has another friend, Adam, who will be there. So I believe he will be shooting some video of the run, as well as crewing and pacing. Uh, I'm a photographer. I'll be shooting some photos, but I will also be crewing and pacing. So Catra will be crewing and pacing. So we'll all be doing everything, including driving the RV around, you know, getting food ready, getting whatever Candace needs. Uh, and then a friend of mine, Harold, uh, Harold Zundel, will come in the second week uh, and join us because uh, there's a there's a cutoff date for Catra. She may have to leave uh, towards the end of it. Uh, and depending on how long Candace goes, 
um, we might need that extra person. So we're just going to have a fourth person come and join us at that time. Are you guys going to be uh, doing, are you guys going to be keeping us informed? Are you going to be doing oh, yeah, some the, social, social media? What do we get out of this? No, action. I mean, I'm like dying. I'm like drooling over this thing. It's so exciting. Like, will anybody be updating the general public? Both Candace <laughs> and Catra are pretty big on social media. Yeah. So I would assume we'll be putting regular updates out there. I don't know exactly how it will be or, or where it will be. Uh, Candace did put together a Facebook group for this run. I think that's more about the logistics and if people want to come meet up uh, with with us and maybe share some miles. Oh, that's a cool um, idea. So where yeah. does it start? Do you know? Uh, so we're we're starting south at the Mexico border. Uh, I don't know exactly where the southern terminus is, and we're running 800 miles north to the Utah border. I don't know what the towns are that, that are at the borders. When you got the email from Catra, what's that like when you open that up and you start reading it? What are you, what is going on with you? Are you like, hell yeah, is there a part <laughs> of you that gets scared? Like, I would say both of those. Last year, I was very excited for it, uh, but I totally understood when Candace was injured and I was glad that she called it off. I was glad that she didn't try to do it just because she had, you know, the window of free time and push it through an injury to do it because that that would not have gone well. So then I wasn't thinking about it too much this year. Uh, but then I, I think I took a trip out to, uh, Arizona in February to run a race. And I just texted Katra and I was like, Hey, if you know anything about Candace's run, just let me know, you know, cause I'll probably be available, but I, I need some time to plan. And then it was like, she didn't know, she didn't know dates at that time. And then it was probably like a week later or so that she texted me and said, all right, here's, here's what she's looking at. And then it was a few days later, an email from Candace and it was a, it was a go. So I felt like it kind of came up fast and I wasn't totally prepared. So I was definitely excited for it. I mean, these are amazing adventures and, and Candace is an incredible runner. Um, so to support somebody in that would, is just, it's awesome. Um, but then I started to feel nervous too. I was like, wow, this is a big undertaking. This is a, you know, a two week journey at least through, I don't know, all kinds of rugged terrain, maybe hundred degree temperatures and freezing temperatures up high in, in mountains. And, and I've run in all of those conditions, but not for two weeks, you know? So I, yes, I was very excited for sure, but you know, I'm definitely nervous too about, about how it will go. Do you have thoughts of, I mean, at this point, do you have thoughts of like, I'm not fit enough right now? Like I haven't done the training required and then maybe loop yourself back in or reel yourself back in and be like, I've been training every day for this. Yeah. Both of those yeah. too. Um, <laughs> I always feel like I'm not quite fit enough. The last couple of years, I would say I've struggled with, with running. Like I've put up a fair amount of miles. So my volume has been good. I just haven't felt good on most runs and I have not had good races. So I probably... If I was still feeling like that, I probably would have had even more doubt. I feel like I made a concerted effort this year to change that. Um, I don't know exactly how. I just thought for 2020, I need to bring things back into alignment for whatever for whatever that means. Because I've struggled the last couple of years with my running. Uh, and I don't really want to struggle on an 800-mile run. Yes. Can I? Of course. I've, I've paced lots of people for... 10, 20 plus hours where I'm out there struggling too. I've run plenty of my own races where I'm struggling too. And I'm well-trained to do that. It doesn't mean that I want to, though. I don't want to struggle for <laughs> two weeks. So I feel like I'll probably, I'll probably be okay in terms of fitness and just, just the experience. I have a lot of experience with, you know, running when I'm tired, running when I don't want to, going through the night when I want to take a nap. 
I think that's an important piece to, to coaching, to training, to being an athlete is to see what's what you've been doing and then get in that space, pause a little bit and say like, do I really want to continue to feel like this or, or continue to train like this? I know I can do it, but do I want to continue to, to be in that zone and then be able to make shift and make a change? Because you're not going to, you're not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to change anything unless you, you really stand up to who you are and what you believe in in that moment. So yeah, you can show up to this race and, and work your way through it, but let's look at the bigger picture. Are you feeling joy from, from the runs right. and races? Right. And maybe you're not, and maybe sometimes you are and sometimes you're not, but I think that's an important, it's an important piece. So how do you self-regulate yourself? How do you, how do you recalibrate yourself in that, in those moments? So for any of my friends who follow me on Strava, they probably would have seen a lot of runs in 2019 that said struggle bus in it. And that was just a term that I was using that if I didn't feel good, but I was still running the miles, I was just riding the struggle bus. So struggle bus run, struggle bus race, this and that. Um, I could, as, as you said, yes, I could keep running that way, but it, there wasn't a lot of joy in it necessarily. And even when I would pace people, I would start to feel that struggle coming in. Uh, so I think the change that I made coming into this year, well, I registered for road marathons, which I haven't done for like five years. So that was a big change. And that kind of changed the focus of my training a little bit. I also let go of some of the volume of training and allowed myself that if I didn't feel good on a particular day to just run like two miles, to run two miles on a, on a beach path near me and not force out 10 miles and prolong the exhaustion that I was feeling. I think that's all I was really feeling was just kind of a chronic exhaustion and not allowing myself to like take enough of a break to recover from that. Um, especially, and, and Strava kind of works against you in that manner. When you have a lot of friends who are great runners, great athletes, you're seeing what everybody else is doing and, and you're seeing the best of it. And you, you want to say, well, I don't want to do a 40 mile week this week. I, I want to do an eight, all my other friends ran 70, 80 mile weeks this week. So I need to do that. So I think I just allowed myself to, to back off, back off on pace, back off on mileage. Um, that, that volume of training is still kind of there. It doesn't go away. And so as long as you're maintaining it, you're not going to lose the, the years of training that, that have gone on. So just kind of allowing, allowing myself to step back a little bit, but also allowing myself to perceive it differently, to not judge each run that I do, each training run. Well, I didn't feel good today on this run. Well, it's okay. I, I did the miles and that's all that matters and, and not obsess over it. You know, why, why don't I feel good? Cause I think that's what I probably did for the last couple of years. Why didn't I feel good today? Why do I still not feel good? Why am I slower than I want to be? Why, why does everything feel so hard? Uh, and I, I mean, as you guys know, you're not going to feel any better from having that conversation in your head all the time. When we get, we can get pretty obsessed with the why. And I know it's like a big thing in sports, like know your why and your why and your why, but if we're trying to figure out the why, it's like we're we're especially about like, why didn't I feel good? Why isn't this going well? Why didn't I PR? Why did I DNF? Why? We're really talking about engaging in the past. And it doesn't allow us to move forward. It doesn't allow, what we do is we drag the past into the present moment. And what we forget is that every moment is a blank slate. And what we bring into that moment is our choice. Yes. Yes. That's exactly true. And I'm sure I was dragging some of the past, oh, we've all dragged, it, you know, into a lot of those runs and dragging comparisons into the com comparisons to other people. And yeah, just, it starts to weigh on you and with a high volume of training also, like it all starts to kind of weigh on you. 
Um, and I wouldn't say I completely lost my joy. I, I've, it gives you the opportunity. Riding the struggle bus still gives you the opportunity to find other things that are that are great. To still enjoy the time being out there in in nature or with your friends or just alone with your thoughts and, and giving you the opportunity to work on releasing the negative thoughts that that pop up. I mean, in my early ultra running days or just any early running days, the negative thoughts were overwhelming. So I mean, it took years to learn to even release them. So you know, maybe the last couple of years where my races took me longer and I had, you know, a harder time physically, I probably got a lot better at releasing the negative thoughts. Like, oh, I'll just ride the, the struggle bus and, but, but kind of be happy on it. In that example, you, it, the numbers aren't going to show that. No. The releasing of this energy or whatever, this stress or whatever you've been like building up over time. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if we're looking at Strava, then those numbers are obviously going to dip. And that's where I think people get caught up. Like I'm owed this, you know, I've been doing this work for so long, like year after year, my pace should be quicker than it's showing. Right. And then you start to come up with all the excuses. Why? Like diet and stress and, and when really all it is, is like, it's just attachments being attachment to where you think you should be. Exactly. It's attachments. And I think there's also just a natural cycle to everything. There are, there are ups and downs and you don't always control it. You can do the things that you know are beneficial, but it doesn't mean that you're going to be in that exact alignment to create the thing that you want to create in that, in that moment. So you just have to allow it to happen. I mean, I I think that's a big part of ultra running uh, that I've definitely learned in a race you have to allow things to happen. You have to allow things to go how they're going to go and not control each moment and know that when you're in a low moment, if you just kind of ride it out and don't dwell on it, you'll probably come out of it at some time. But you also have to be willing to spend a lot of time in it. You know, you can't put any expectations that this is just going to be two hours that are rough. It could be 12 hours. It could be 20 hours. You know, like you just have to allow whatever it is. How's your patience game? So patience doesn't come naturally to me, but I feel like of anything I've been working on for the last couple of years in, in more recent time, I've been working on, on that. And I think I've gotten quite, quite good at it. How do you get good at patience? Probably struggling and, and, <laughs> and going forth anyway. Where do you find the patience though? Where do you find it? Like if, if you're feeling impatient. Yeah. And right, like how we work on patience is by being impatient. Right. We're we're not working on patience when we're patient. Right. It's easy to be calm in a bathtub with a glass of, you know, tea or a glass of wine and nice music and candles. It's practicing being calm when your life is unstable. Right. Is where we really learn how to be calm. And I think that's probably why I've fallen in love with ultra marathons, because it puts you in those places. So those are all things that have not come naturally to me, patience being, being one of them. When you spend enough time in that place where things aren't going well, you feel frustrated, you feel off, you feel you're somewhere that you shouldn't be, you can, you can throw a tantrum, I guess, you can be negative. And, I, and I've definitely been there. I mean, that was my first choice. That's what I did early on. But you're going to have a hard time running another 10 hours when you're dwelling on the negativity. If you're like cursing and hating every hill that you climb, you're probably not going to finish that race. I guess when you spend enough time out there, you just naturally learn, if I want to keep going, I probably have to release this. I have to find a way to get to get through it. 
Um, so I don't think there was, you know, like a secret answer or a trick. It's just kind of going through it and putting yourself in a situation where you're pretty much guaranteed for things to go wrong. Uh, and I've been focusing on hundred milers for the last couple of years, more so than any other distance, because that's a distance that just destroys me. I mean, I can run a 50 miler, no problem. If I have a bad day, it's easy. If I have a good day, it kind of feels easy. Like it easy. Isn't the right word, but it doesn't like affect me on a very deep level, but hundred milers, I don't know. You just get to a point where it's like, you're facing your, your soul. And it's like, do I want to keep going on? Do I want to just lie down here and die? You're put in that situation and your patience is being tested in, in so many ways. And you just learn, well, if I, if I adopt a positive attitude, if I release as much of this, you know, negative energy as possible, things will probably get better. And, and they often do. Do you think patience and presence go hand in hand? Are they friends? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, if you're, if you're present, I don't think you'll be impatient. Um, and so, I mean, I, I was a very impatient person, I would say in my life, critical, judgmental, impatient. Um, I'm an East coast person, like kind of suburban New York. So I, like, I think that's part of the the culture too on the East coast. Oh, I was so good at More, more impatient and judgmental. Oh, so impatient. Um, Like, Yeah. It seems normal, but it seems normal, right? If everybody's like that, it seems normal. So you're just kind, kind of, of living of in edge. a normal world. Yeah. But once I started running ultra marathons and being in situations that were really rough for a long time and then releasing, you know, negativity, releasing impatience, I started to notice, you know, when I would be driving around on the road, people, you know, you drive anywhere. Southern California is very crowded. There's a lot of traffic. People are doing something stupid on the road. People are driving in a way they shouldn't be. It doesn't bother me anymore. Like, I'm just like, okay, you know, take your time. Whatever you got to do, go for it. I'm not laying on the horn. I'm not getting all worked up. I'm not giving anybody the finger. But I've definitely been that person because you're kind of taught that's what you should do. If somebody's doing something stupid driving, you're supposed to honk at them, give them the finger, you know. But, like, how does that, how does that make any situation better? You, what, what, I, what I learned, and it took me, I don't know how it took me so long to learn it. Whatever negativity you're expressing towards others, like, you're, you're affecting yourself so much more. Than, than anyone else. You're just contributing to the overall negativity, but you are not helping yourself in any way. No, and you're creating more reasons to feel negative in your life because where what we focus on expands. So if we're focused, and believe me, I've been on both sides <laughs> of this. Like I was nasty. <laughs> and, um, and I had a lot of, I saw a lot of reasons in my life to be nasty and I kept being nasty and I found a lot of reasons in my life to be nasty and it's what we focus on expands and it's, you know, it's the law of attraction. It's Newton's third law. It's like you can call it all these different things, but in every different kind of science, quantum physics or material science or the science of spirituality, which it would be called karma, it's like what you throw out, you're going to get back. And the sure sign of healing, whether that's a physical injury in the body or really mental injury of negativity and um, anger and things like that is that when we're not, you know, when we're not triggered anymore by it. So like I can see people driving crazy, but I'm, I'm, it's not triggered inside of me anymore. So that's when right. you know you're healed. And people will say, well, how do I know when my, my tendonitis is healed? And I'm like, because you're not thinking about it anymore. Right, right. Yeah, you're, you're... When you step off that curb and you're not thinking like, oh, what's that going to feel like? You know, <laughs> speaking from personal experience, right? Like, oh my God, stepping off the curb, how that, how's that going to feel? Um, you're not thinking about it anymore. It's not, it's not in, uh, 
it's not in the forefront of your awareness. But it's a process, though. It's a, so when you get oh, to that point of like, it's the, a process. It rises. Like, I can tell you, you know, when I'm driving on the highway, I'll, it'll rise up, but then sure. it, it simmers down. Right. But there was a point where it was like super angry, and so there's a process of of being present, of seeing yourself. Right. Completely. Put up that mirror. See yourself like, what is that? The guy really is just going fast and not using his blinker and weaving in and out. What, what does that have? What is my, that my business? It's not my business. Yeah, it, it's, it's a process. Really and again, we have ups and downs. We'll have good days and bad days. So it's also about forgiving yourself when you do kind of slip back into that old mindset where, okay, I, I was a little bit too negative. This doesn't serve me. I'll forgive myself and move forward and, and just try to be more conscious of it, more more mindful of it. It doesn't mean perfection. And I think that's a concept that I struggled with because early on in, in my, in my transformation, I guess, in a physical transformation, Rich Roll was a big influence. So I was listening to his podcast regularly and there was a lot about mindfulness, but I felt so far away from that, that it worked against me. I, I felt that I was comparing myself to this level of perfection where I have to be in this Zen state all the time. And I don't feel like that. And that almost upset me more until I immersed myself in it and started to realize this is a process. It takes time. Everybody's on their own journey too. Everybody has their own, their own background, their own past experiences, their own triggers, their own pains and feelings that are in there. So there isn't like a set course that, that you follow. And you certainly don't just like snap your fingers and say, well, I'm positive now from now on this, I, I'll never be negative again. That's, that's just not how it works. So we, when we slip back into the to the negativity or any behaviors that don't serve us we just have to forgive ourselves and just be okay with that it's all about moving forward yeah. moving forward moving forward and um as somebody on this path as well you know the mindfulness meditation and really remembering the truth of who i am i'm at i have found times where i feel like well i can't act like that or i shouldn't do that and i mean that's just like a sure sign that ego is getting involved with your spiritual path, right? Because the spiritual path is about, hey man, this is a this is a journey and it doesn't end here on this earth. Like this earth is kind of kindergarten in the spiritual world. Like <laughs> you guys are in kindergarten, you got a lot more ahead of you. But also to the point of like eating vegan, when we first became vegan, I there was like this thing like I can't get sick and if I get sick I can't tell anyone mm -hmm, I, yeah. I'm sick because the vegan diet is supposed to make you not get sick anymore you know um, and so I, I completely relate to you on that so let's dive in a little bit I, I definitely have some questions about pacing and hundred milers and all that good stuff but since we're on this topic I want to jump into your transformation story uh, one of the things that you touched upon already was like at the beginning of your running like the negative the negativity was like pretty relentless when I when I look at the very small picture of what I have of what your life looked like just listening to you on different podcasts and things like that, it's it's a very uh, self-deprecating way to live. And so, yeah, there had to have been a lot of negativity that was brewing under the surface that, thank God, ultra running has now allowed you to bring to the surface and let go. But why don't you take us through that, this transformation, because... I believe it started with you changing your diet, which was not in the plan. Right. So yeah, there have been a lot of different stages of transformation. None of it was planned. Um, throughout my adult years, I was I was just gaining weight. So every year, you know, another five or ten pounds heavier. Um, alcohol usage was increasing. You know, so you're always in a state that feels normal. 
I'm maybe I'm doing a little too much, eating a little bit too much junk food, maybe drinking a little bit too much beer, but it increases from year to year. So then you find yourself, or for me, I found myself, you know, at least 50 pounds overweight, drinking a lot of alcohol, feeling pretty depressed, but pretty physically sick as well. Um, I don't think I was really diagnosed with anything, but it was coming. I mean, diabetes was coming, heart disease was coming, all that stuff was coming. I, I probably tried, you know, five or 10 times to go on different diets and workout regimens and never really stuck to anything. So never really had any, any great results, but there was so much kind of desperate energy tied up into that change, focusing on needing to change, you know, everything about me, um, you know, not just physically, but knowing that, that emotionally, psychologically, I, I wasn't really happy. I thought it was tied to the physical body though. So when I did change, uh, both my wife and I, uh, went vegan at the same time. We watched Forks Over Knives, uh, one night on Netflix. Did you have any idea what you were like? I'd never, I'd never heard of the documentary. I don't think either of us had, um, did you read the description? We're like, oh, maybe I could benefit from this. Or you knew at this point, you're like, you're not feeling very good. So yeah, we read the description. I, it never occurred to me that it would be something that we would do. Um, we had just started getting into Michael Pollan and reading Michael Pollan's book. So the omnivore's dilemma is what made me aware of that, that food that I put in me has something to do with my health, with my well-being, and like where that food came from is a factor. To me, all that I cared about was like how much does it cost and how many calories can I get? So, you know, if it was the cheapest ground beef or if it was like the 99 cent, you know, meals at the, at the drive-thru, um, I was all over it. Cause I, you know, that's all, that's all I cared about. I, and I didn't think that any of it really mattered, that it was tied to physical health. I just thought like maybe total calories matter, but nothing else does. Um, so Michael Pollan kind of woke me up to this concept that what you're putting in your body has an impact on on your physical health, on your psychological health, and just to be more conscious of it. So I had no specific plan as to what to do with that, but I was uh, like starting to awaken yeah, to that curiosity concept. was definitely like curiosity was turned on. Oh yeah, it was. And it was like, I'd never considered it. So it was kind of mind boggling to me. <laughs> like it's obviously, it's blatantly obvious. And yet it was mind boggling because I just was not aware of it. I wasn't awakened to, to the concept that what you put in your body has an impact on your life. When, when we did watch Forks Over Knives, there was no intention of, of changing our, our diets. We didn't seek out that documentary. We were literally just browsing. You know, you browse Netflix for like 10 minutes to try to find something. Then we were like, like, okay. Like, yeah. No, no, <laughs> no. What are we no. going to watch now? <laughs> that was a long time ago. So the selections were very, there were not many selections. Right now. And there weren't I, that good back yeah, then either. Right. Um, but I mean, ironically, I'm sure we watched that with like a plate of ma- of junk food. So we would shop, we would buy all kinds of like, frozen foods from Costco. So not the healthy ones, like the frozen pizzas, the taquitos, the, I, you name it. And just, I'm sure we- The fat, we, sugar, salt, baby. All of it, in. yeah. And I'm sure we watched that documentary while eating all of this terrible food. But during that documentary, it, it clicked. It clicked completely with me. Like I, and I wasn't looking for it. And I, and I think that's probably why it clicked. I think if I was looking for it, maybe a, a defensive mentality would have, shown up because it, it's hard to confront yourself right and say 
oh, everything I'm doing is my problem. Like, <laughs> my problem is me. I need to stop doing everything I'm doing. But I guess I was just taken off guard because I wasn't really looking for that. But it it clicked in a way that nothing had ever clicked before. Um, listening to Dr. Esselstyn, I mean, his it's like his voice resonated just deep within me, and I and I thought whatever this man says, like I'm going to do. Um, and so uh, the way it played out, we watched the movie the next day I bought his book. I downloaded it from Kindle cause I, I didn't even want to go to a store to look for it. Like I needed it that second. I needed to just do this. Uh, and I skimmed the book quickly. It's, it's a very concise book. It's very easy to understand. There's literally a page with all the rules. And I was like, all right, we're just following these rules. My wife was on board. I don't think she was as driven as I was, but she was on board with it. Um, and so that day we packed up all the food in our house. Uh, we gave it away to friends and family, all the food that was not non-compliant with this new. So the taquitos. All that stuff. All that stuff. All the frozen pizzas, all the frozen meats and everything. Yeah. Because oh, we had a giant freezer in our in our basement where we were like for extras. Stockpiling stuff. Yeah, for sure. Costco. It was Costco. like a mini Costco. Oh yeah, it was a mini Costco. <laughs> Giving out memberships <laughs> yeah. to my house. If no I doubt. buy more, it's gonna <laughs> be cheaper. Yeah. Exactly. That's so that awesome. was the mentality. Was uh, but yeah, we gave it all away and we just switched to to Dr. Esselstyn's plan his way of eating and and it's a it's a very strict whole foods plant-based diet um i mean the good thing in hindsight is that i didn't have anything else to compare it to so any version of a plant-based diet would have been would have felt strict to me but like by accident we just jumped into one of the strictest versions that are out there but as a result you feel the effects i i would think even faster because it was such a radical change from what we were eating. Like I was eating fast food constantly and just tons of junk food. Uh, and so as soon as you start putting like whole grains in your body and fresh vegetables and salads and fresh fruit, like the body responds amazingly quickly. So I didn't need, I didn't need his, his words in his book to convince me what I felt. I, I mean, I was already convinced, but what I felt within days of that change was enough to convince me to that this is the path. This feels amazing. It was it was like a rebirth. What did you feel? I felt like a surge of energy that I had never felt before. I felt uh, like levels of clarity that I hadn't felt before. And I'm talking like seven days into it. Um, and we were not good at making food. So we didn't follow his recipes. We just followed the ingredients that you can use. Like I, I'm a pretty lazy cook. I don't like spending a lot of time making food. So we would just make big pots of brown rice, big pots of beans, and like have some frozen vegetables and we'd throw it all together. And you know, he's, he's a no oil guy. So, you know, we didn't put any oil. I just started putting like some vinegar on, on this and like a little bit of seasonings. And at first the tastes were weird. Um, but after, after, a couple days, like your body recalibrates, your taste buds recalibrate. I always hated brown rice. Like I couldn't eat that unless it was covered in some kind of sauce, some kind of rich sauce or something or butter. All of a sudden brown rice was like nutty and delicious. Like all these flavors were just exploding. And then the energy levels, you know, internally, just energy levels, clarity, sleep. I like sleep felt so deep and, and, and refreshing just things that I had never experienced before or not that I could recall. 
what were you doing at this time for for a job or uh so i was i was working as a school administrator uh so i had like normal job hours so i'd go work in an office uh with other people with with other people yeah so how did you did any any of your engagements change as you started to feel this energy and you went to work and maybe your vibration was a little bit higher and everybody else's was a little bit lower did that did that uh so surface i mean the 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 noticeable change was that i was bringing massive amounts of food with me to work and eating so i would sit and eat lunch at at my desk but there were like two other people in the in the office of this school um and so it was noticeable that I'm eating like troughs of food, basically, because one of the things that really attracted to me to a, the concept of a plant-based diet, um, other than Esselstyn's words, everything he said just com- made complete sense. But also I didn't have to restrict anything because I had tried all kinds of other diets before and I never felt that I had willpower. I always felt hungry and, and I didn't like that sensation. And I'm not good at that willpower or restricting things. So in the plant-based diet, you can eat as much as you want. So I thought, okay, fine. Maybe my food isn't going to taste good. I don't know. Maybe I won't like it, but I know I won't be hungry and I know I won't, you know, be, be restricted with, with my calories or anything. So I can eat until I'm full, even if it tastes like cardboard. It turned out to not taste like cardboard. I turned out to actually love the food and it was full of more flavors. But, um, yeah, so I would bring like massive containers of food with me to work and I was just eating that and people would see me losing weight over time and they would say, I don't understand how you're losing weight because I just see you like eating nonstop. And I was eating out of serving containers and like eating with serving <laughs> utensils, right? Because like big ladle. Because like <laughs> right, because like a fork or a regular spoon doesn't get it in fast enough. So I was eating with like serving spoons out of serving containers and and like loving it. Um and were people curious? Were they like, well, maybe I should try something like that? Where was anybody asking you for advice at that people, point? People were curious, but it's also, it's like one of those situations where people don't fully pay enough attention to know what's going on. I probably wasn't talking about it a whole lot at that time. You were just doing I was, your thing. I was doing my thing. I was unsure about it. I, I was brand new to it. I like internally, I was 100% committed. When I started, I told myself, I'm, I'm making a one-year commitment. I mean, prior to starting it, I said, I'm going to make a one-year commitment because I know myself, if I gave myself a week or a month, like I would find an out. Like I'll find an excuse. I'll find an out. I have to give myself a period of time where I'm going to get the benefit. I'm going to know. At the end of the year, I'm going to know I hated this or I loved it. Um, but I've never heard of anybody like being unhealthy from eating too many vegetables for a year. So I was like, I don't think this is dangerous. I think I'll be okay. Like I, From what I know, I think like fruits and vegetables are good for you. Um, but yeah, like at work, nobody was like super, uh, curious about it until maybe like a few months later when I had probably lost like 40 pounds or something. So like that was fairly noticeable. Um, although I, like I, I remember one day I interacted with parents a lot at, at that school in that job. So like 30 second interactions, right? So you, you know, people reasonably well, but you only have like 30 second interactions with them. And I remember one day somebody was like, did you get a haircut? You look different. <laughs> and, and I was like, yeah, I got a haircut like a week or two ago. And in my mind, I'm like, I also lost like 40 pounds in the last two months. So that's, that's probably it, but it's, it's a haircut. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I also did get a haircut. <laughs> Don't worry. I won't make you look at your bad habits. Uh, when does exercise come in? Cause you're dropping all this weight, but I mean, I'm going to assume like you're not very strong because you've just had a sedentary life and the drinking and all of that. So when does, when do you wake up to the fact that moving the body is also healthy? <laughs> yeah. 
So that was really cool. Um, Cause maybe a year before that I wanted to be a runner. I don't know. I saw somebody running in the neighborhood and I thought, you know, runners always look like they've got something going on. They look, they look like they're in their zone and it's working for them. I want to be a runner. And I tried for like a few days and then my knee hurt and I stopped and I was like, well, I'm not a runner. This sucks. Fast forward a year. So now I'm a couple months into eating plant-based, fully, fully plant-based, fully compliant with Dr. Esselstyn's plan. And the surge of energy within was just immense and growing every day. Um, and so I just felt so good that I, I had to run. I had to start running. I had a treadmill in my basement um, that we had bought a few years earlier, probably three or four years, and it probably had 10 miles on it, <laughs> and it never got used. Clothes were drying on <laughs> yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Dust. I had to sweep all the dust off of it. And I just started running one day on it, and I ran, I think, three miles the first day. And that, I was like, that's pretty far. And then I ran five miles the next day, and five miles is the longest I think I had ever run in my life. I probably ran five miles once or twice in high school. And I was a high school athlete. I was a good athlete, but I was never a runner. I always hated running. I just couldn't do it. Uh, I th- like, I think my mind would work against me and I just could not run. So the exercise part showed up as running again, completely unplanned. And it was just because of the, the surge of energy from within that, that needed to be released, that needed to go somewhere. So where do the trails come in? Uh, oh, I mean, that took a few years. So, uh, I mean, for the first few months I was running in my basement, it was like, it was like winter time. We were living in suburban Chicago so it's cold, uh, gray, and dark in my basement. My treadmill's like literally right up against a cinder block wall. I have, I have no TV there or anything, and I'm just loving life. Like I'm just staring at this cinder block wall, running on the treadmill, and just like having the best time in life. Like it doesn't get any better than this. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't run outside. I did that for months, um, but I realized I got comfortable with that. So I, I signed up for a race. Um, it would have been a, a St. Paddy's Day race, so in, in March. Um, and that was literally the first time I ran outside. So I had been running in my basement for months, and then I ran outside. I get roads. So it was in a shopping center, actually. It was just on, like in a shopping center parking lot and like the road around the shopping center. And then I was like, this is kind of awesome, too. I mean, I had very low standards, right? I went from my basement wall to right. running a circle around color. a shopping center, right? I was like, this is amazing. So I got pretty into road running, uh, but still running alone for the first two years, I think. And then I finally talked to somebody in a half marathon that I was running. I just turned and talked to the woman that was running next to me. And then we talked like throughout the race. And I was like, well, that was super cool. Like interacting with other humans. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And she was part of a local running club and she said, come out to my running club. And then I came out to the running club and, uh, and met some other people. I mean, I'm very reluctant. I was very reserved, very shy, but also I just didn't feel like I belonged anywhere. Anything that anybody else was doing, I didn't think that was for me. I thought that was for them and not like, I, I don't deserve to be there. I'm not good enough to be there or I'm not, I'm just not the right person. So uh, there was, I mean, I was very lucky. There was a lot of kind of handholding by, by people that showed up in my life. It's like the right people show up in your life, the, the right guides, the right teachers, they just, they, they kind of magically appear right, right when you need them. And, uh, so I joined this running club and was running roads and, and talking with people like for the first time, kind of socializing and interacting. And that again, like just blew my world open. Like this is even bad. This is amazing. 
Um, and then from there, it led to trails because my friend who, who introduced me to the running club in the first place, well, she turned out to be an ultra runner. I didn't know anything about that at first, but then like a year later, she started to tell me about that. And then she brought me out onto the trails. What did you think? Do you remember what you thought of ultra running? So I can remember. So the very first race I signed up for was the Chicago Marathon. Uh, when I was only a few months into losing weight and I just started running, I actually had run for one week on the treadmill. Um, and I ran 25 miles. And you signed up for a marathon. And I signed up for a marathon at the end of that week. I didn't know anything about running. I had heard of marathons. Clearly. And I, (laughs) and I couldn't have told you what the distance of a marathon was. Like I would have had to look that up. And then I remember having a conversation with my sister and my sister had been a bit of a runner. Like I knew she had run probably half marathons before. And I know she would do like 10 mile training runs. So in my mind, like this is the running authority in my life. So I was having a conversation with her about running and she said, you know, there are other distances, right? Like you can run a shorter race than a marathon. I was like, okay, well maybe I'll sign up for a shorter race first because the marathon that I signed up for was uh, eight months out, nine months out. So once she told that to me, again, it was another one of these obvious things that was not obvious. Like it was just this awakening. I was living in, I don't know, in this sheltered world, like where things that should be obvious just were not. Uh, So I signed up for a 5k, then another 5k and 10ks, 8ks. Like, I think I ran um, like 12 races for like 10 or 12 weeks in a row or something like that. Like I was just so addicted to it. But to go to your question, then I, I ran uh, the Chicago Marathon basically a year after I, I had uh, gone vegan. So I'd lost a bunch of weight. And I was a pretty good runner by that point. I ran a pretty good first marathon. Like I, I felt like I was part of the running community. Then I heard about ultra marathons and just envisioning taking another step after the finish line of a marathon. I was like, how, how do you do that? Like that 26.2 miles literally takes everything. How could I possibly run 50 miles. I went back to the old mindset where that's not for me. Like that's for somebody else. I, I'm not, I'm not born that way. And that's actually the way that I felt about marathons because I went to the Chicago marathon maybe 10 years before I ran it. My father-in-law ran it. And so we went to support him. And I remember seeing all the finishers, you seeing all these, you know, people wrapped in the Mylar blankets, people lying down, cramping up, but all these people like there's just an energy, right? I mean, they don't look good, but they, they look amazing at the same time, right? Like they look spent, but they look, they look great. And I just thought, wow, these people are amazing. Too bad. I wasn't born like that. Too bad. I'm too bad. I'm not one of them and I'll never be able to do that. Yeah. You're separate. That was that mindset that I had. And I, in hindsight, I still brought that with me. Even after I ran a marathon, the same thing applied to ultra marathons. This isn't for me. I, I can't do that. It's an old program that you practiced and it takes a while for those programs to, to burn off, to fall away, you know, because we got to create the new programs of, wait a minute, I am a runner and I'm a marathoner. And you're getting the reinforcement from the community that you're in. So it's, it's helpful, right? Your environment is stronger than your will. So if you stayed in the basement, <laughs> you might, you, like, who knows? Right. You probably wouldn't have... I don't know. That's pretty good training as far as like mindset training. See, that BJ loves that. Like stare at a brick wall. Talking to my loop friend over here. We like loops. (laughs) But that's severe mind training. No TV, just sitting, just running on your treadmill, enjoying it. I couldn't do that now. I think I was just very fortunate at that time because there were no expectations. I literally knew nothing. I couldn't have been more naive about the sport and, and had no expectations. So I was just loving life. But now I don't think I could do that. Um, 
But yeah, a friend of mine from my running club brought me into ultras and I brought that same mindset in. This isn't for me. I can't do it. I, I signed up for a local 50K and that felt crazy. I'd probably run two or three marathons by that point. And I was running like pretty respectable times and felt like a, a good runner. But it's like you're starting over. And, oh, it's a totally different sport, isn't it? Oh, and I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't really know that, and I didn't appreciate that. So <laughs> I don't think anybody again, really like, knows that. Th- everything, every new thing you step into, it's like you have to release some old behavior, or some old thought, or some old pattern. But I, somehow I didn't see it coming. So it's like, yeah, you're running slower. The hills beat you up, and then that that mental struggle shows up, and the and the mental negativity kind of shows up because, wow, this is a lot harder. I should be faster. You know, I run an eight minute pace. Why am I running a 12 minute pace? What is this all about? This is, this is terrible. Um, (laughs) so that, that was kind of my introduction to ultra marathons, but I, from what I've heard, people either abandon it right away or they kind of stick with it. And I think I was lucky enough to just stick with it and through time release enough of it to, to stay decent enough at it, to keep go to want to keep going and to keep growing in it. <laughs> so you're staring at the wall and that's one mode of training, but where, where has that taken you now in your training? So there's gotta be something that people would, would think that you're zoning out, but actually you're zoning in because you're getting really cued in on how your foot strike is, what you're breathing like. Like, is there anything now that, that you have relatable to that, that you do in your training? Um, like did that lay the foundation for something? I, I feel like with my training that there've been like, general concepts or general feelings that go along with it. So for that period of time where I was running on the treadmill and then just running alone outside, I was just in my own world and, and thriving in that. Then once I started running with people that, that woke me up to the social aspect and I really loved that, but then it kind of brought in some comparisons because now there are some really fast people. Like I thought I was a pretty good runner, but then I joined a running club that had a lot of 230 and 240 marathoners and that wasn't me. They're a good hour faster than me. There was even, there was a 217 marathoner. Like all of a sudden I'm not that good. And so there, there were just comparisons. Um, But then going into trail running, it was more about the social aspect. Like the runs aren't necessarily training runs. You're just out for kind of a five hour conversation maybe with people. Um, and you're not really focused on the miles and you're not focused on the distance. Maybe you're just kind of focused on time, but time when you're talking to people for five hours, time can fly by. But then on the other hand, if you're alone for five hours, maybe time goes on forever. Uh, and so that was, a I'd gotten so used to running with other people and I could run long distances with other people that once I started to race ultras and I would spend a few hours alone, now I was kind of starting over again. I was like, how do I do this? Because now I'm alone. I'm just, I'm with me. Like I can run with other people for a long time, but how do I run just with me? And that I had to kind of learn to do that. Um, And so in ultra marathons, my training has kind of moved towards that. Like a lot of solo running, long solo training runs um, and just getting comfortable with, being with yourself, being with yourself in unknown areas, unknown trails, unknown thoughts, unknown places within. Um, that's, that's really where the training has taken me. And that's, those things have been the focus more so than mileage or pace or, or, or specific, you know, training, things like that. What does it take to complete a hundred miles? 
So I DNF'd my first 100-mile attempt. Um, and I thought I just didn't do things properly. What it takes in hindsight is to not battle yourself, to just allow yourself to go with what's happening out there. Um, I think one of the best experiences I had in ultra marathons, I, um, I, well, the, when I finished my first hundred miler, which was my second attempt, I had a very negative experience because I was, I was alone the whole time. I was cold, um, for like hours and it went on forever. And I was just like, what one was it? Uh, it's called Potawatomi 100. It's in Illinois. Um, so Illinois is a dead flat state. Everything is completely flat, but there, there's an area, um, where Potawatomi is that it's pretty hilly. It's like, it's a, so it's a 10 mile loop course. So you like loops, but do you like 10 of them? Because, <laughs> sure. Because I don't know. Maybe we'll, uh, we'll have to find out. You, drop I you did, off in Illinois. I did not. I did not. And what I didn't realize was how each loop I would get more and more negative. And with it, with each loop, I was physically feeling worse and mentally just like attacking myself more and more and more. And so it turned into this terribly negative experience. So I, I finished the race. Like I actually did reasonably well. And I, there was a picture of me at the finish and I just look angry. I just look pissed off. I finished. That was my first hundred mile that race that I finished. Like I should have been happy. Right. So like that's, that's one way you can do it. That's one way you can do it. <laughs> that's not how I would recommend it. So I, I realized I was battling myself. Uh, and so just through the process of running enough ultras, I learned, well, this isn't a great strategy. Like things are going to be rough out there. Things are not going to go well at all times. Just let it happen. Don't battle yourself. Uh, and I learned that from friends that I would run with. Uh, you, you pick up so much from people when you're trail running, you always find the right people. Like they always show up and give you kind of the right advice, but it, it's more just an energy. It's more, you know, they're, they're your friends out there and you feel, you feel safe. I think when you're mad at yourself, you're just, it's, it's your way of protecting yourself. And so when you release that, you're just saying, you know, I, I'm, I'm here, I'm vulnerable, I'm present, I'm allowing whatever is going to happen. And no one out there is judging you. Everybody wants the best for everyone else. Everyone wants to help everyone else. Um, so, I, I mean, I think the biggest secret to running hundreds is like, don't, don't battle yourself. Just let it, just let it happen. That's literally the que- the question that I wrote down is what are, what is the secret to 100 miles? There it is. Don't battle yourself. It's not resist. It's like you're fighting yourself. You're not going to win that. You're just going to stay yeah. in that battle for the rest of your life. Yeah. So you 100, 100 miles is physically difficult, right? I mean, it takes a long time. Even for the best runners, it's physically difficult. And for I'm kind of like a mid-pack runner. Like it's it's a long effort. It's a long, hard effort. If you apply negative energy to yourself throughout that entire effort, like you're making it so much harder than it needs to be. Um, but I would say uh, an, another moment that really taught me so much about it, um, I DNF'd the Leadville 100 in my first attempt at Leadville. My DNF pretty early on. The altitude hurt me pretty badly. But I went and watched the finish of the race for the last two hours. So I, I guess I would suggest to anybody, whether you're an ultra runner or not, Go watch the last couple hours of a hundred mile race. Go watch, go watch the people who finish. So that race took me down at like mile 45 or so. So here I am at the finish at mile 100 watching people. The age doesn't matter. The age of the runner doesn't matter. The fitness of the runner doesn't matter. Uh, You know, their physical conditioning, the gender doesn't matter. I would see, you know, some 
overweight older dudes shuffling in like all hunched over two hours later i would see like an incredibly fit 25 year old guy sprinting and i was like that guy looks great but this old dude hunched over finished hours before him it's like that that experience taught me the physical side of it is kind of like a minor detail that it's something more intangible within that's what gets you to the finish and and i think it's being at peace with yourself, allowing things to to happen and just keep going. We were talking to our meditation teacher the other day and was talking about preparation for the Tahoe Rim 100. And, and you know, um, my goal for that is is mastery. And that means right this second that I'm, I'm mastering every second, right? Like I'm being very conscious and, you know, what's coming up and feeling like in the middle of the night when I wake up and I get that like, could you go out for a run right now? Yeah, I could go out for a run. Or waking up in the middle of the night like, you're going to die. Okay, <laughs> that's the worst case scenario. I might die. <laughs> and just mastering those moments by just like these words that you've been using, releasing, allowing, and, you know, not fighting against and. So we were talking about the physical preparation and I was telling him about like the training and, you know, I feel really good and I feel really strong. And he's like, yeah, just, just do the 25%. Like, cause the 75% is really what matters. Like that's, it's everything else. It's everything besides else. The physical. He's like, yeah, just do your 25, 25% and then focus on the 75%. There's no doubt that the physical training will help you out. But it yeah. certainly doesn't determine whether you finish or not. It, it's all the intangible things. It's all the things within that determine whether you finish. And I have a pretty good amount of DNF. So I know I know what takes you down. And, and it's not the training. And it's not injuries. Um, I mean, that can, sure. I mean, don't run if you roll your ankle at mile 10. I, I don't like seeing when people do that. Like If you're injured, okay, go home, recover, come back a few months later. But it's the intangible things that get you to the, to the finish line. And, and it's just the ability to keep going and to problem solve and, and to not dwell on the problems. Um, if you're behind your expected pace or you don't feel the way you wanted to feel, uh, those are all the things that I went through in my early hundreds and I would freak out about them and just use so much energy thinking, oh, it's mile 40 and I feel terrible. I feel completely spent, you know, and I, like I'm ready to pass out. Then I carried that energy with me of, of feeling like my race is over. And then guess what? My race was over. Not, not that long after that. Yeah. That, that would be a, um, creation. You created that. (laughs) Yeah. But we are, we're always creating. This is, this is such a big point of life that nobody ever told us that every moment is what's happening in a moment is basically the precursor to what is going to happen in the next moment. Like what are we carrying into these moments? And we have the choice of how we're going to respond. We're not going to stop the waves of life. We cannot stop the waves of life. Things are going to continue to ebb and flow. Our life is going to feel very unstable sometimes. Sometimes it's going to feel really, you're going to feel really sure-footed and you're going to say, oh, this feels so good. Um, but it's how we navigate those experiences in life that is that is the mastery. Um, and sometimes that means DNF and sometimes that means PRing. And it's, are you that same steadfast person, you know, throughout that storm um another story just thinking about this storm thing i was telling uh, one of the athletes that i work with today uh that when we had that session with meditator bob he was telling he was reading us this thing he had written about seabirds and how when a storm comes in like when these crazy hurricanes come in that the seabirds just allow the wind to take them towards the storm they fly into the storm they go through the storm and into the center where it's calm and then when the storm passes, they fly out. 
So it's, I, with endurance sports, um, I haven't done a hundred yet, but it's, it's like, can we just stay with that current of the storm and not try and get out of it too soon? Right. Just let it be there. Yeah. I, I think that's a fantastic analogy. And I mean, it's so funny with hundred milers or ultras in general, but definitely hundred milers, like you're going to fly into the storm. There's a storm out there waiting for you. It's very rare that you're just going to have that perfect day. You can do that in a marathon. Probably you can do that in some shorter distance races and just have your perfect day and hit your splits. It's almost impossible in the longer distance ultra marathons. You're going to have your highs and lows. You're going to hit that storm. And it's like, how do you manage it? Do you just kind of ride it out or do you throw a tantrum? Do you, you know, give up? What are you going to do in that? And all you have to do is, is ride it out and, and wait for it to clear and then just keep shuffling along. But when you don't have practice with that in life, and, and you know, that's what you're talking about, um, you don't know to do that and you don't know how to do it. You don't have the tools. You don't, you don't have those skills. You don't have, you just don't have those abilities. And so I, I think that's probably one of the greatest gifts that ultra marathons have given me is those skills, just being in those situations that are so awful so many times and realizing this doesn't define you. Like you, you can just keep going. You just wait for it to pass. There's no, there's no shortcuts to all of this. Right? There's no shortcuts. <laughs> no, you got to go have the experiences yes. and you continually proven in, in this whole journey that you're on that you're, you keep, you keep walking into the unknown. Like you just keep embracing, oh, well, this is what I need to do now. This is what I need to do to do now. Your relationship with the unknown. What is it like right now? Like when you see these things that people are doing, 200 well, he, milers. He's about to go into 800 <laughs> miles of unknown. I, I feel like just listening to myself, talking to you guys, I keep hearing myself saying that each new place I go, I kind of reset to the old way of thinking that there's there's some fear in there. In, in the unknown. And so I guess I just try not to think about it too much because if I do, those old, those old thoughts are really in there. There will be fear. There will be anxiety. There will be nerves that, that come out. So I just try to now trust that I've gotten through whatever situations I've been in. Um, and things are usually okay. As long as I don't make a big deal out of it, it's usually, it's usually not that bad, but I still definitely get caught in unknown situations and, and judging myself, coming down hard on myself, fearing, fearing things. Um, I think a little bit of, the, of this upcoming run with Candace, sure, there are some nerves, like 800 miles, two, two plus weeks is a long time to be out there. How, how am I going to respond? I'm not worried about her. Like I view her as this incredible driven athlete who puts in tons of miles and training. Like she's, she's phenomenal. I'm not worried about her but what about me? Am I going to hold up am, a week in? Am I going to offer any value to, to the team? I, you know, I hope so. I hope I don't go down and I, and I hope I'm not dragging behind. I hope I'm still able to offer positive energy as well as physical ability out there. I think so those exciting. thoughts are like, I'm just thinking about this now, you know, how you take the, the spatula and you scrape the inside of like a peanut butter jar, let's use peanut butter <laughs> and you want to get it all out, but there's still remnants there. So those thoughts are, are, are still there because they they were so they were so ingrained yeah. in who you were, but there's such a great point of reference for how far you've come. So when those thoughts come up and you and you feel the fear and you go through this 800 miler and you finish the 800 miler, then it's like, oh, of course, of course I did this. There was that little thought, but of course I did this, and it's going to show up again. So we can't. Right. I don't think we can get rid of, I don't believe we can get rid of everything, but they're actually there to serve a l little bit of a purpose to see how far we've 
we've gotten in our lives. Yeah, I mean, the dudes that are meditating in the caves in the Himalayas, like they're getting impulses. They're getting impulses. They're just not acting on them. I, and I think that's the key. Yeah, I, you guys are both right on. I, I don't think those thoughts ever completely go away. And I know for me, they just seem to come up a lot. I, I feel like I feel like I drag as much of the past and negativity with me as possible while still like growing and moving forward. I feel like if I would just stop and really look at things, I would say, well, let's just let go a lot of this stuff now and not bring it with me. But I feel like whatever that like that's the reason that I, I have to go through to learn things that way. Um, but yeah, the, the thoughts still show up, but it's how you respond to it. It's what what energy are you going to feed? And I think I've had enough experience and enough time to recognize the different voices. There's still the voice of doubt, but there's another voice that will say, well, you've kind of done this a lot, so it'll be fine. It's not like a, an overly optimistic voice that says, you're going to crush it. You're going to kick ass. Like, you're amazing. I don't have that one. For people who do, I think that's great, and they should feed that like crazy. Um I'm, I just say whatever is going to happen is going to happen. But that voice of negativity, of doubt, well, let's just not feed that. Let's just kind of push that away and, and not give it any more energy. What does it take to be a good crew member or a pacer? Uh, that, that's, a, that's a good practice in mindfulness. Um, you have to be positive all the time or as much as possible. Um, you have to be present. You, you can't dwell on any of your own struggles because it's not about you. It's about your runner and you're there simply to serve somebody else. So whatever you're going through, you need to find a way to not let that affect you and keep going. And it makes it a great lesson for your own runs and your own life because you realize you can. You realize you can take those things that come up and push them aside because you're out there for a purpose bigger than yourself. It's for, it's not just for the runner. It's like the whole effort, the whole team. So in this case with Candace, like it's, it's going to be a team effort. Like we, we will all succeed or we'll all fail, but we will all succeed for sure. But yeah, it's just focusing on the positives, reinforcing the, the positives with your runner, just being there, being there to support them. It doesn't take any special skill other than just giving your full support and being present and not letting anything negative derail you. What has being in service in that way being, cause you, you've done this a lot and it seems like this is a point of, of uh, joy in your life. What has being in service taught you about yourself? Uh, I mean, it helps separate you from your ego um, because when you cross the finish line, like, and you're, you're the pacer, you don't get a buckle. There's no time recorded for you. It's for, it's for the runner. Um, and so I, somehow I found a lot of value in that. I, I've just really appreciated that because there isn't an attachment to that. I, I don't, I'm not going to come home with something that I can celebrate. Um, not that I celebrate my buckles, but like when you don't get anything, you're definitely not going to celebrate it. So it's just, it's just, finding a way to be more present in that experience and, and helping somebody else. But you know, you're, you're kind of an equal team when you're out there. So it's just like, it's a nice way to live life. Like we're, we're either all working together on this or we're kind of battling one another and ourselves. So the mind, so mindfulness is a big, big piece. What does your mindfulness practice look like? Or do you have one in the morning or something that, that you um, maybe calibrate to, to who you truly are? Like, where, do, where does that happen? Uh, so 
I could definitely improve my mindfulness practice. I, I do meditate, you but not... You should just not... start wearing clothes that say <laughs> mindfulness. I try, I, I try to because that helps, that helps a lot. He's got to be here now showed up with all these arrows. Like, hey, listen up. Be here now. Right here. <laughs> um, I do meditate not as much as I would like to, not regularly. Um, I find my runs to be meditative. I, I think I've gotten to the place where that feels peaceful to me. I, th- I just try to incorporate mindfulness into every minute of my day. So it's not a specific practice. It's just when something comes up, don't get triggered. Don't go down a path that doesn't serve you. Move towards something that, that does serve you. And, and the environment has an impact on it and uh, all, all sorts of things do. There are definitely times that I feel so much more positive and I just I can't wait to go out and, and help people and do things for others. And then there are other times that I feel a little bit you know, stuck in my own head with some, with some negative thoughts swirling. And so I just tell myself, all right, maybe I need to step up the the mindfulness here. Maybe I need some more time meditating or just going on a run to clear my head. Yeah. I love how, um, I really appreciate how honest you are. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. And somebody who is perhaps in a situation where either they're kind of going through the motions in their life or they have that, like, oh, I should change the way I eat or maybe they're just waking up right now and going oh my god I didn't realize that what I was eating is affecting my life or not exercising or not being consistent with with what I say I want to do what are some words um words from your experience to get on this train to a more awakened life and how to stay there uh so just try to accept where you are be content with where you are in your wherever you are in your imperfections don't focus so much on where you wish you were because that's something that i did wrong for a long time i just always comparing i wish i was there i wish i was 50 pounds less i wish i was faster be accepting of where you are because then what happens is you change your energy so rather you go from this desperate energy of wanting something wanting something that's outside of you to being in tune with with who you are even in your imperfect state in your completely imperfect state and what happens in that process is is you create alignment and then you take control you now have grabbed the wheel you're driving your life and you can go wherever you want but not until you you gain control not until you recognize that you're okay where you are you're not a terrible person because you're overweight or you're struggling with addiction or, or depression or whatever it is, you're just fine. And so find that acceptance for yourself to the best you can, and then grab the wheel and start driving towards, you know, where you want to go, but, but not with a desperate energy with, with an energy where you, you are fully accepting yourself along the way and accepting the ups and downs that come along the way also. Yeah. And that's, that's full circle. That's that's deliberate creation right there is is getting behind the wheel of your life and driving the car. Yeah. That that's really the only way to do it. It's I the think. only way to do it. Yeah. Dave, thank you so much. This was such a beautiful conversation. It was amazing. I really thank appreciate you guys, it. Dave. And hey, good luck in the LA Marathon. Oh, thanks. Yeah. And we're gonna launch we're gonna launch this like on Monday because I know you got, you're leaving for Candace's thing. So I want people to be able to get awesome. on board and uh, send really positive, strong, 
badass energy your way. I think Candace attracts a lot of that and puts yeah, out a lot of that. So uh, like, I'm super thrilled to be around that energy <laughs> and just see us getting bombarded with that. I think that's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank again. you guys. This is great.